Amen. Can we give the Lord another hand for this awesome worship team and choir? Wow. Awesome. Well, good morning, church. I am so glad to be with you. I want to welcome all of those watching us online as well. Are you glad to be here? Awesome. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you got to see me this morning. Why don't you tell them that? What a joy it is to be with you. Um, has already been said, my name is Shane Pruitt, and I serve as the National Next Gen Director for the North American Mission Board, which means I oversee our ministries to young adults, college students, and teenagers. And I want to say on behalf of the North American Mission Board, thank you so much for your partnership in the gospel. And as we work together with you, we're able to plant churches all over the nation. Uh, we're able to do um, disaster relief and sin relief and compassion ministries. And we're also able to lead out in evangelism and leadership development. And uh, we're able to reach and mobilize the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ to be the right now church. And I just want to encourage you this morning, church, that the same gospel that has worked for 2,000 years still works today. And uh, I've seen uh, more young people get flat out saved this year already, young adults, college students, and teenagers, than the previous several years of ministry combined. And so God is moving. I believe there's a revival sparking amongst the next generation that I'm so excited about. Uh, in that, I do want to offer some free resources uh, that our team has developed. If you have your phone, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and get your phone out and open your text messages and send a text and text the word conversations. You'll see it on the screen, conversations to 888-123-PUSH-SEND. You'll get a response back with a link. Click that link and it's going to take you to a YouTube channel. Go ahead and subscribe. And every other week we post a new video on there that is all geared towards equipping reaching and mobilizing the next generation to be the right now church. So if you're a young adult, college student, teenager, it's a perfect channel for you. If you are a parent or grandparent uh, to the next generation, it's a great equipping channel for you as well. The second thing I want to tell you about is a podcast. So if you listen to podcasts, uh, myself along with our National Collegiate Director uh, have a podcast called Next Gen on Mission, available on all podcast platforms. And every other week we post a new uh, podcast that's all about the same thing, reaching, mobilizing, discipling the next generation to be the church of today. Because here's what we believe, that if a young person has been bought with the blood of Jesus and they have the Holy Spirit of God, they are not the future of the church. They are the church right now. And they have a calling on their life now to know Jesus and make Jesus known now. Um, but we're going to look at the greatest resource of all time in God's holy word. So if you have your copy of God's word, and I pray that you do, would you turn to Luke chapter 16? And as you're turning there, I want you to know, church, every week um, I'm with multiple different churches and conferences and settings. And one thing I've come to learn is that a good pastor is a gift from our great God. And the Lord has blessed this church with an incredible pastor. Seriously, one of my favorite pastors in the entire nation, Dr. Ted Trailer. So can we give the Lord a hand? for him and his faithfulness. And I'm so thankful for the other staff and Pastor Sean and so many others. What a great church. So what a high honor it is to be here. Also, church, I want you to know from the beginning that uh, I'm uh, one of those preachers. I get kind of loud. I get excited. I get energetic when talking about Jesus um, because I didn't grow up in church. In fact, I didn't become a Christian until I was 21. I remember vividly of what it was like to live without Jesus. It's much better with Jesus. Would you agree with that? 
So I want you to know, I'm one of those preachers, I welcome amens. I welcome praise the Lord. I welcome hallelujahs. In fact, I'm going to make a deal with you forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Here, I'm going to take 30 seconds off the sermon. How about that? All right, there you go. And I believe that God's going to do something remarkable. Um, all glory to God. In the first service this morning in the room, uh, we saw 17 people raise their hand indicating that they confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior in the first service. So we can give the Lord a hand for that. And I believe God's not done. I believe God's going to do something in this service. So today, we're going to answer a question. And the question we're going to answer is this. Do good people go to heaven? Do good people go to heaven? See, if we were to leave the building this morning, and if we were to go as a church and to take a poll of people in this area, and if we were to go down to the Walmart or the Target, or if you're fancy, Target, and we were to ask people one question, what does it take to get to heaven? Do you know what the number one answer would be? You must be a good what? Person. Please hear me from the beginning. Good people don't go to heaven. People saved by Jesus do. And I want you to see that in the word of God today. So today, what you're going to hear may be the first time you've ever heard it. And I believe that God's going to knock on the door of your heart. And some of you are going to give your life to Jesus today to taste his grace and forgiveness and have a brand new start. There's some in the room that maybe what you're going to hear today is the thousandth time you've heard it. But today, it's just going to hit differently and the lights are going to come on and today you're going to truly get saved. Maybe today you're going to believe already what you're going to hear and you're going to be motivated to go tell the world about this great news known as Jesus. And we're going to look at God's word because the truth is God's word points to the word of God, who is Jesus. The word of God points to the word of God, Jesus. How many of you believe this is the word of God? Do you believe that? How many of you believe when this speaks, God speaks? There should never be a moment where we're pleading with God to speak to us and we got his word closed collecting dust. You can't say God is silent when you have the Bible closed. If you want God to speak, open his word. And uh, it's reminding of an older lady who loved the Word of God, and everywhere she traveled, she took the Bible with her. So one day she was traveling to visit her grandkids, and she got on the plane, sat down, buckled her seatbelt, got out her copy of God's Word, and began to read it. Not long after that, a guy got on the plane who did not believe in God, and in fact, he hated the Bible, and he just happened to sit next to her. He sits down, puts his seatbelt on, he looks over to the lady and sees what she's reading, and he's like, oh, goodness gracious, I got to sit next to her. And the longer he sat there, and the more he looked at that Bible, and the more he looked at her, and the more he looked at her, and the more he looked at that Bible, the madder he got. Finally, he couldn't take it anymore. And he goes, ma'am, what is that that you're reading? And she goes, I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading God's Word. And he goes, do you believe that Bible? She goes, I do. And he goes, well, what about Jonah and the big fish? Do you believe that story? And she goes, well, it's in the Bible. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe it. And he goes, well, how could a guy get swallowed by a big fish, live inside of that fish for three days, get spit back up, and continue to live? And the lady goes, well, I don't understand all the details. So one day when I die and go to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah all about it. And that just made the guy even more mad. And he goes, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? What if Jonah's in hell? She goes, well, then you can ask him. Now, hey, I don't know about you, but I believe the Bible. I believe the Word of God teaches there is a literal heaven and a literal hell and a literal king named Jesus makes all the difference. I want you to see this in the Bible. 
as we answer the question, do good people go to heaven? So look at Luke 16, and if you would, as we jump in, go ahead and find Revelation 21 and put a marker there. We'll end up there. But we're going to primarily look at Luke 16, starting in verse 19. Jesus tells a parable, and a parable is basically a story with one main point. And the main point you're going to see today is the Word of God points to the Word of God. So it begs the question, do good people go to heaven? And I want you to see this today as he starts in verse 19. And he tells the story. He says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. So this is a guy who has a lot of money. He's gained everything the world has to offer. In fact, he's got nice clothes. He's got the Gucci clothes and the nice food and the big house. Um, if you're an older generation, he would have been on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Uh, if you're in a younger generation, he would have been on MTV Cribs. He's got it all. And it's verse 20, it says, And at his gate there was another man named Lazarus. Outside this gated community, this poor man laid, and he was covered with sores, so he had a lot of physical suffering, a lot of physical elements. Verse 21, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, even dogs came and licked his sores. This is a bad situation. Look at verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. If you go back 2,000 years ago in this context, Jesus is talking mainly to a Jewish crowd so that they would understand in the Bible where it says Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. That's another name for heaven. So the poor man was carried to heaven. And then it says, and the rich man also died and was buried. Point number one, would you write this down? Death is a reality for everyone. Death is a reality for everyone. So you got a story of two men. One man is very rich, has everything the world has to offer. Another man is very poor and doesn't have much of anything the world has to offer. And yet they both die. See, death is a reality for everyone. Uh, you can be very rich. You can be very educated. You can be very good looking. You can have all the things the world has to offer and still die. Um, you can also um, be poor and uneducated and maybe not the best looking in your own opinion and maybe even physically sick and have a lot of suffering and still die. Death is a reality for everyone. Every time we go to a funeral or memorial service, we're reminded of how frail life really is. Um, a lot of times, um, you know, and I minister to young people, and a lot of times young people have a hard time understanding how frail life is because they think they have their whole life in front of them. And uh, every year I do funerals of young people. Um, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Uh, if there's anything that 2020 taught us is the world can change like that. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Every breath is a gift from God. Every day is a gift. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Their death is a reality for everyone. In fact, not too long ago I read a statistic. And this statistic, I want you to know, church, it, it blew my mind. It was eye-opening. It was sobering. It, it kind of changed the trajectory of my life. So I'm going to share this statistic with you. And I want you to know, church, this statistic, it's going to blow your mind. Are you ready for it? This statistic said this, one out of one dies. Can you believe that? How eye-opening is that? That's mind-blowing. It's sobering. One out of one dies. In fact, according to statistics, listen to this, every year around the world, 55 million people die. That comes out to 151,000 every day. That comes out to 6,300 an hour. 
120 a minute and two every second. I mean, let that set in for a moment. Every time I snap my fingers, two people just went into eternity. Two more. Two more. I was sharing these stats not too long ago to an event with over a thousand college students, and as I was snapping my fingers, one of the guys yells out, stop snapping your fingers. We don't like to be reminded of that. But even though I stopped snapping my fingers, the reality doesn't change. And when people go off into eternity, there's only one or two homes. It's heaven or hell. See, right now today, there's 7.7 billion people alive in the world today, and yet only two kinds. Those that know Jesus and on their way to heaven, or those that don't know Jesus and on their way to hell. And there's no middle. See, a lot of people go, well, I just hang out in the middle. You know, I leave, I'm a good person, but I leave all the religious stuff to my wife or to my kids or, or to my, my uh, you know, husband or to my, my parents or my grandparents. Listen, there's no middle. The Bible says this, Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says himself, you're either with me or against me. One day we will draw our last breath and we'll stand before the king of kings and he won't go, hey, great job. You hung out in the middle. You are the best middle person I've ever seen. You're either in or out. You're either dead or alive. You're either a follower of Jesus or not. And you go, well, Shane, why is death a reality for us all? This isn't very good news. This isn't very encouraging. We'll get there in a moment, I promise you. But you go, well, Shane, why is death a reality for us all? Well, to understand that, you got to go back to the beginning of time. See, if you get on Ancestry.com, we all end up at Adam and Eve. They were our great, 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 many great grandparents. They were the first humans. And God gave them the Garden of Eden and said, everything here is yours. Enjoy it. I provided for you. They were meant to live forever. And they had this perfect relationship with their creator, God. But there was one tree that God said, don't eat of it. Because in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you know the Bible, what does he say? You will surely die. Meaning there would be a physical death that would start taking place over time, but there would be an immediate death that was even a greater death, a spiritual death. Because we're more than flesh and bones. We're more than hands and feet. We have a soul, a spirit inside of us because as humans, we're made in the image of God. God is a spirit. God made us spiritual beings. So we have a soul, a spirit inside of us. And you go, well, why would God put that tree there? It was an opportunity for humans to obey God. It was an opportunity for humans to trust the word of God. And yet they rebelled against God. And the moment they rebelled against God, the power of sin entered humanity, and now sin cannot be in the presence of the holiness of God. So now they were separated from God. They were separated from their creator. And when the power of sin entered them, they would begin to die over time. But in that very moment, they would die spiritually because the power of sin killed their soul, their spirit. Now they were spiritually dead. Now why is that a big problem? Because now they're spiritually unable to fix that problem. Here's a relevant word for today. The greatest problem in culture is a spiritual problem. And physical solutions never solve spiritual problems. At the heart of every problem is a heart problem. And only Jesus can change the heart. Now you go, well, Shane, that was a long time ago. What does that matter to me today? Well, I'm going to use a word we don't like because it kind of hits close to home right now. Is sin spread like a virus to every person born after Adam and Eve? Now you fast forward today. 
here in Florida in 2021. What does that mean? It means no one in this room was born a Christian. We were born sinners separated from God. We were born spiritually dead. The great evangelist from the 1800s, D.L. Moody, said it like this. We're born with our backs towards God and our face towards hell. Have you ever been talking to somebody before and you go, hey, when did you become a Christian? And they go, oh, I've always been a Christian. Now what they mean by that is ever since they were in their mama's womb, they went to a building that had a steeple on top or a cross on the side. Now all about the church. This is an amazing building. But does sitting inside this building make you a Christian? Just like sitting inside a Taco Bell does not make you a burrito. We understand that, right? Buildings don't make Christians. Jesus does. We're born sinners separated from God. We're born in need of a Savior. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people do because we're born sinners. And let's just be honest. There's no holier than thou's in here. Nobody in here needed a little bit of saving. We all needed full saving because we're good at sinning, aren't we? Aren't we all a little bit good at sinning? Have you ever noticed when other people sin, we become judges? <laughs> but when we sin, we become defense attorneys? <laughs> You ever compare sin? You're like, hey, ain't perfect, but at least I ain't like John. That's a big sinner, right? We're all good at it. Some of you are looking at me right now and going, well, Shane, you don't know me. I'm a good person. Well, the Bible says you should not tell a lie. So raise your hand if you've ever told a lie before. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying right now, sinner. <laughs> There's something wrong with us. It's sin. In fact, would you just admit that? I'm going to admit it. Anybody want to admit this morning and go, hey, preacher, there's something wrong with me. Anybody want to admit that? You know what that is? It's sin. How many of you are sitting next to someone and there's definitely something wrong with that person, right? It, it's sin. And everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. In fact, you can go into a secular bookstore. You can go into Barnes & Noble. You know what Barnes & Noble knows? There's something wrong with you. So they're trying to make money off of you. So they have a large section called the self-what-help section. But please hear me, self can't help this. Only God can solve a God-sized problem. See, often the biggest problem with self is self. You ever wake up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror and go, man, I got a problem, and then look at your reflection and go, well, I'm glad you're here to solve it, right? No. Sin can, self cannot be the solution when self is the problem. We need someone outside of self. His name is Jesus. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. That's what we deserve. Has there ever been a moment where you're like, God, give me what I deserve? <laughs> hey, look at your neighbor one last time and go, don't ever do that. Tell them that. Because what do we deserve? Death. But there is some good news coming, I promise you. Look at verse 23. So number one, death is a reality for everyone. Point number two, would you write this down? Heaven and hell are real. Look at verse 23. It says, or let's, let's start back at verse 22. It says, and the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. That's heaven. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. That's another name for hell. Look at how hell is described here. Being in torment. Would you underline that in your Bible? He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Because of the name Father Abraham, sometimes in the Bible, Abraham would also just be another name to talk about God because of the father aspect. So Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side, verse 24, and he cried out, listen to this man in torment, Father Abraham, have mercy on me 
and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish. Would you underline that? In this flame. Isn't it ironic that on earth, Lazarus would beg just for a crumb from the rich man's table. In eternity, the rich man's begging for a drop of water from Lazarus' finger. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Do you see the difference? Lazarus is comforted, underline that. And the rich man is in anguish. Heaven only knows comfort, hell only knows anguish. Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who had passed from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So a couple of things here. First of all, if you know Jesus and you draw your last breath and heaven becomes your home, it's your home for all eternity. If you don't know Jesus and you draw your last breath, you end up in hell. Hell is your home for all eternity. And they're vastly different. Now, please do not misunderstand this. The rich man is not in hell because he was rich. He's in hell because he didn't know the saving grace of God. The poor man is not in heaven because he's poor. He's in heaven because he knew the saving grace of God. He believed the word of God that pointed to the word of God. Now, let's talk about the differences. People will say sometimes, Shane, man, what is heaven like? What's heaven like? And I don't think our little finite minds can wrap around the infinite mind of God. And so we don't really know fully what heaven's like. And I think the best way to describe it is take the very best moment of your life, times it by a billion, and it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of how awesome heaven's going to be. But on the flip side of that, take the very worst moment of your life, times it by a billion, and it doesn't even scratch the surface of how awful hell's going to be. You see, the man here is in anguish, and he's just crying out for one drop of water. Now, I mentioned earlier, um, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't become a Christian until I was 21. And the first 21 years of my life, I was building my testimony. You know what I mean? <laughs> like in high school and college, my trinity was not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. My trinity was sports, partying, and chasing girls. And I'll just be honest and transparent with you. My friends and I, we would party. Um, and we'd be drinking a lot, and we'd get drunk, and we would say stupid things like this. Like, hey, I don't care if I go to hell. All my friends are going to be in hell, and hell's going to be a party. And we're going to party it up with the devil. Hell's going to be a big party. How ignorant were we? Here's a man in anguish and torment and flames pleading for a drop of water. Does that sound like a party? But, friends, here's the good news. You know where the party's going to be? Heaven. Heaven is where the party's going to be. I want you to turn over to Revelation 21 because there is a description of heaven from John when he gets to see a revelation into the future and he gets to see a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like for all eternity. And here's where the party's going to be, friends. Look at Revelation 21, verse 1. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored for a husband. Verse 3. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Look at verse 4. I love verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, we don't like God to tell us no, but aren't you glad that there will be a lot of no's in heaven for all eternity? No suffering, no pain, no crying, no cancer, no handicapped parking spots, no insurance co-pays, no COVID-19, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Where God only provides comfort for all eternity. Verse 5, and he who is sitting on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, remember what was the guy pleading for in hell? One drop of what? Water for all eternity. But look at what God provides for all eternity. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be their God and they will be my people. Go back to John or Luke 16, Luke 16. Listen, heaven only knows comfort. Hell only knows anguish. Jesus makes the difference. And listen, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people by Jesus do. How many of you are ready for the day you see Jesus face to face? How many of you are ready for the day Jesus throws Satan into hell for all eternity? That's Revelation 20. I love what Billy Graham says. Billy Graham goes, I've read the end of the Bible. It's going to be good for us. Here, hey, here's good theology. This one's for free this morning. Jesus and Satan are not equals playing chess against one another. Jesus is God. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. And one day Satan will bow at the feet of King Jesus before Jesus throws him into hell for all eternity. That's our Jesus. He's the one who saves. He is our great hope. He is our great hope. Number last, real quick. Number last. The gospel is our only hope. See, the word of God points to the word of God. It's saved people by Jesus who get to experience heaven for all eternity. Look at verse 27, and this is where we'll be done. And it says, and he, Jesus, said, or he, Jesus, is telling this story, and this is what he says to the guy. Notice the request changes. The guy at first is saying, hey, can I just have a drop of water? And that's denied. So now the man's request changes. And listen to Jesus as he tells the story. Because the point of the end of the story is the word of God points to the word of God. Look at verse 27. And he, the man in hell, said, I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. Now he's thinking of others. Look at verse 28. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So now the request changes. Instead of like being about him, now he's thinking of his family and his loved ones that don't believe. And he goes, I have five brothers, and I don't want my brothers to end up here. So would you send Lazarus to tell my brothers about the grace of God and the reality of God? How many of you are so glad someone told you about Jesus? 
How many of you have loved ones that are already with Jesus because they were followers of Jesus and now they're in heaven? Listen, here's the great truth is they're not dead. They're more alive than we are because of the power of Jesus. But let me ask you this. How many of you have loved ones here on earth who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior? And we got to point them to the hope of Jesus. We gotta, listen, it's not our job to save, but it is our job to point them to the one who can save. His name is Jesus. And now this guy's pleading. Hey, I have brothers that don't believe. Now look at verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let they hear them. All right, now let's explain what that means. Remember in context here, 2,000 years ago, Jesus is talking to a Jewish crowd. Um, at this time, they didn't have the New Testament. They had the Testament, which was the Old Testament. They would not have called that the Old Testament. They would have called that the Scriptures, the Testament. More commonly, they called it Moses and the prophets or the law and the prophets. See, in the Bible, where you see that used in the New Testament, the law and the prophets or Moses and the prophets, they're talking about the Word of God. Because Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible or the law or what's also known as the Torah. Um, what are the first five books of the Bible? You know it is Genesis, what? Good job. Hey, you've gone to Sunday school before, haven't you? All right, good job. And then the prophets are the rest of the Old Testament. It's Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Malachi. Here's the point. Is the word of God points to the word of God, Jesus. He's saying if they don't believe the Bible, they're not going to believe in the word of God because that's how you know the word of God is through the word of God. The Bible. See, because the Old Testament is all one big promise that a Savior is coming, a Deliverer is coming, a Messiah is coming, a King is coming, and he has a name that's above every name. It's the name what? Jesus. And here's the reason he's telling the story is he wants them to see the Word of God points to him, the Word of God, Jesus that he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's the way to heaven. Look at verse 30. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Oh, you mean if someone raises from the dead, then surely they'll believe? Isn't that ironic? Look at verse 31. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Why? Because the word of God points to the word of God who rose from the dead. Now, here's the great story. Here's the great point as we land the plane. Is they're saying, he's saying, hey, hey, the word of God, here's the point. Jesus wants them to see. The word of God points to the word of God, me. And they were like, well, if someone would just raise from the dead, we'll believe. The very word of God, who is telling this story as the word of God, would raise from the dead. All right, so I ended with bad news a while ago. You want some good news? All right, so here's the good news. See, sin is a big problem. We can't solve it. But there's a bigger solution named Jesus, and he can. See, we're good at sinning, but Jesus is better at saving. I want you to write this down, never forget. Jesus is a better savior than we are sinner. That's good news, isn't it? That 2,000 years ago, you know what the Word of God teaches us? That 2,000 years ago, the Word of God, Jesus, took a mission trip from heaven 
to earth and became a man to die as a man for mankind. But he never stopped being God, fully God, fully man. The eternal son of God, Jesus, who has always existed, lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. This sin-free life. Think about it. Everything he did was good and awesome. Caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the handicapped to get up and walk. He walked on water. He calmed the storm with his voice. He fed over 5,000 people with two fish sandwiches. Subway has nothing on that, brother. Amen? And then at 33 years old, he did the greatest act of love ever. He took our place on the cross. Don't ever get over that. We are sinners. He is sinless. We are messed up. He is holy. We deserve to be there. But he loved us. You go, well, we're good people. No, no, no. We're sinners in need of a Savior. You know, people say all the time, why do bad things happen to good people? That only happened one time, and he volunteered. His name was Jesus. When they shoved the crown of thorns on his head, that should have been me. When they spit in his face, that should have been you. When they nailed him to the cross, that should have been us. But the love of God took our place. His name is Jesus. As the perfect sacrifice for my sin and your sin so that we don't have to pay the debt in hell. He was the perfect substitute in our place so that we could go to his place, heaven. And he died there and he took his lifeless body off the cross and put it in a borrowed grave in all of Baptist church. You know how they put the body of Jesus in a borrowed grave? This next point should make us yell so loudly that all of Florida hears us. The reason that Jesus was put in a borrowed grave is he wasn't gonna need it long because three days later, our Jesus busted out of the grave. Do you believe that? Showing that God the Father had accepted God the Son's sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus made the way possible to know God. Jesus made the way possible to be forgiven of sin. Jesus made the way possible to have eternal life. Jesus made the way possible for heaven to be our home. And he showed himself for 40 days to show he literally overcame the grave. Then he ascended into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. Why did Jesus sit down? Not because he needed a Starbucks break. Jesus sat down because three very important words he said on the cross. What is it, church? It is what? Finished. He made the way possible to be forgiven. He made the way possible to have eternal life. Listen, friends, the tomb is empty, but the throne of God is full of the risen King Jesus. The stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. He is God. The stone was rolled away so that we could see into the tomb and see the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, you can be full of the eternal life of Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. Because one day the trumpet's going to blast and the angels are going to shout and Jesus is coming back for his church. Do you believe that? People ask all the time, when is Jesus coming back? I've gotten more questions about the second coming of Jesus from young adults, college students, and teenagers in the last two years than the previous 18 years of ministry combined. They're like, Shane, you see what happened in 2020, 2021? See what's going on in the world? You think Jesus is about to come back? Think Jesus is about to come back? Hey, what chapter of Revelation are we living today? You think Jesus is about to come back? Listen, I don't know. But one thing I do know is today is a heck of a lot closer than yesterday was, and he is coming back. Are you ready? I love what one evangelist said. He said, the angel Gabriel's gonna toot and we're gonna scoot. That's cool, I like it. <laughs> but who's the church? Oh, it's good people. No, no, no. The church, according to the Bible, are those who repent and believe. Repent means to have a change of heart, change of mind where you go, I'm a sinner, I cannot fix this. So I turn to the one who can, his name is Jesus. And I place my trust, my faith in him. 
And the moment I do, he places his Holy Spirit in me. The same power that ripped Jesus out of the grave now comes to live inside of me. When the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of me, I am forgiven of past, present, future sins. I don't know about you, but that's mind-blowing. I can imagine being forgiven of past sins, but the Bible says I'm forgiven of sins of tomorrow. That's amazing. That means when Jesus saves me today, he's already factored in my stupidity of tomorrow. How amazing is that grace? When the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of me, my soul, my spirit that was spiritually dead now becomes spiritually alive to never die again. That even when I draw my last breath and my body hits the ground, who I am goes to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Please hear me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about making good people better. It's about making dead people alive, and only Jesus can do that. The word of God points to the word of God. Do you believe that? Do you know Jesus? I'm not asking you if you've repeated a prayer, been dunked in water, or go to a church, you can do all those things and not know Jesus. I'm asking you, has there ever been a time you truly understood that, repented of your sin, placed your faith in Jesus? And then here's the question, because they go together. Does the Holy Spirit of God live inside of you? See, you can't be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit of God live inside of you? And if the answer is no, then now you have a moment to make that a yes. If the answer is, I don't know, you have an opportunity to know for sure and have assurance of your salvation. Listen, friends, the word of God points to the word of God. In closing, would you turn to the table of contents in your Bible, to the table of contents. See, here's the point of the whole thing is, yes, heaven is for real. Hell is for real. Jesus makes a difference. And the word of God points to the word of God, Jesus. And he's the one. He's the one that saves us and places eternity inside of us. Jesus took our place so that we could be with him in his place. See, the word of God points to the word of God. I want you to see the table of contents. The reason that we started today but saying this is the word of God, it's because I want you to see how the word of God points to the word of God. If you'll notice in your table of contents, there's 66 books that make up the word of God. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, and they all point to Jesus. The word of God points to the word of God. Follow along with me, if you will. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he's salvation's choice. In Judges, the lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, he's the true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's a rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In He's Mordecai's courage. In Job, the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he's our morning song. In Proverbs, he's wisdom's cry. In Ecclesiastes, he's the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he's the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. In Daniel, he's a stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he's forever faithful. In Joel, he's the spirit's power. In Amos, he's the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord, our savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, he's the promise of peace. In Nahum, 
He's our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores the lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's our fountain. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, Messiah. In the book of Acts, his spirit is the fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he's the power of love. In Galatians, he's freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, he's our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he's the servant's heart. In Colossians, he's the second person of the Godhead Trinity. In 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus and Philemon, he's our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he's the everlasting covenant. In James, he's the one who heals the sick. In 1st and 2nd Peter, he is our shepherd. In 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and in Jude, he's a lover coming for his bride. In church, in Revelation, he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. He is, he is, he is the Prince of Peace, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, the Great I Am. He is Alpha. He is Omega. He is God. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is King. And He, Jesus, is better than anything the world has to offer. Listen, friends, His hope has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. Joy has a name. Eternal life has a name. And it's the name above every name. It is the name of who, church? Jesus. The Word of God points to the Word of God, Jesus. It's not good people who go to heaven. It's those who have been saved by Jesus. And the point that Jesus is making in this story when you see the interaction between the guy in hell and God, is he saying this, if you refuse to believe that and you refuse to believe the word of God and you refuse to believe in the word of God who is Jesus, then there's nothing left for you. That's the hope. Jesus is the hope. He's the one. And here's the good news, friends, that if you know Jesus, and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. No matter how bad this world gets, it's as close to hell as you'll ever be because heaven is your home. But the opposite is also true. And I'm not trying to scare you, but out of love for you and your soul, I have to tell you that if you don't know Jesus, the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of you. Then no matter how bad this world gets, it's as close to heaven as you'll ever be because hell is your home. But it doesn't have to be. Jesus loves you. He made the way possible for you to have eternal life, to be forgiven, to be given a brand new start and for heaven to be your home. Maybe today is the first time you've ever heard this. And you go, Shane, there's something stern in me. I need Jesus. I believe right now is your time. Maybe you've heard this a thousand times, but today it just hit different. Today your eyes were open and you go, I don't really know Jesus. But today I believe and today I need to be saved. Maybe you go, Shane, I've been hanging in the middle. And today I realize there's no middle. I'm either in or out and I realize that I'm out. See, halfway in is all the way out. And you go, I need Jesus. 
I need to be saved. I need to surrender to him. I need Jesus. Now's your time. I'm going to ask you if you would just bow your head, close your eyes, and we're going to do what we've been saying the whole time. We're going to trust the word of God. Now, I've already said this. There's no magic in praying a prayer. What matters is that you believe it in your heart. See, the word of God, Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I just want us to trust the Bible. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, by faith, I want you to open your life to God. And if you go, Shane, I need this Jesus. We got to see 17 people do it in the last service. And you go, Shane, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I need hope. I want eternal life. I want the confidence that heaven is my home. Then I want to help you. I want to confess with you because that's what the Bible says to do. So if that's you, then with heads bowed, eyes closed, I want you to confess to your God. You're not confessing to me. You're confessing to your God. And by praying, and I'm going to help you. So if that's you, right where you are, would you just say, God, and watching online, just say, God, right where you are, just say that as a prayer to God. Just say, God, thank you for creating me. I admit I'm a sinner. But today I believe that Jesus is bigger than my sin. I thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. I believe he is alive. I believe he is Lord. So God, I repent of my sin. Would you come live inside of me? Forgive me of sin. Change me from the inside out. Would you give me eternal life? Thank you for saving me. 